Welcome everybody to the Solar Insights Podcast. I got Jabari Davis of Basketball Insiders and The Shop today. We're going to recap that amazing Suns-Lakers game. And uh, so how are you doing, Jabari? I'm doing well, Eric. I appreciate you having me today. Well, great. I have two weeks in a row, the Basketball Insiders, The Shop people. I got Lang on last week and you on this week. Pretty excited. I love that um, segment you guys do for Basketball Insiders. I, uh, you know what? It's probably, you know, I love covering the league, but it's probably the most fun that I have. Part of it's because it's less formal and you can just kind of talk. And, you know, that's pretty much the concept of it. But, uh, you know, Lang's a great guy and, you know, it's been a lot of fun. It, I, I listened to your show last week and I actually absolutely appreciated, you know, the love that you guys, or, or the shout out. Yeah, I got to shout you guys out. It's really, it's, it's really a good way to, uh, to cover the league. I mean, that's kind of what podcasts came out of. We, don't want to have a radio show that's all segmented, so we want to talk as long as we want to, so we create podcasts. There you go. So let's get started. Well, it looks like, so the Suns actually came out victorious in this game. They won 119 to 115. And so um, it was a good game. It was, um, what, do you, what, do you, what were your thoughts of the game first off? I mean, it, it was a typical Lakers game at this stage. You know, they're a little bit undermanned, and no, I'm not going to go into it, you know, making excuses or anything like that. But given the circumstances that they're a little bit undermanned, they've been falling behind and finding a way to, you know, kind of, you know, claw and scrap and, you know, scratch their way back into it. But it just wasn't enough. Uh, yeah, the, the Suns, you know, the, the Suns came to play. Eric Bledsoe was absolutely incredible. Um, that's that's kind of a kind of a trend when it comes to this Lakers team, you know, wing guys or perimeter guys or, you know, specifically, you know, scoring point guards have been, you know, somewhat taken advantage of them, especially, uh, you know, since they've been shifting players around, uh, given the circumstances, but, uh, you know, hats off to the job that he did last night. He was absolutely phenomenal. Yes, as uh, Jabari was noting, the uh, Lakers were missing D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young due to injury, while the Suns were missing T.J. Warren. It uh, looks like today that um, Russell could come back soon, maybe as soon as I believe tomorrow. Nick Young, maybe a little bit farther than that. Is that what you've been hearing? Yeah, that's what it looks like. I mean, they've been back at practice these last couple of days. I think today was the first day where they were able to have a full practice. Uh, it looks like they may still sit out one more game, especially given the fact that they have a back-to-back on Monday night against Sacramento. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't say it, it, they're not going to play, but it probably makes a little bit more sense for to bring you know to bring one or both of them back on the second night of a back-to-back rather than trying to get them to play you know two consecutive nights. Exactly. Same thing with uh, Warren. He's been out for a while with a. Uh... I guess you could call it a vague head injury, but uh, and he has been scoring around around 18 points a game when he was playing, so there's a big loss for them. But the, the guys picked it up. People like Barbosa. Um, but so let's get back to the, how it go, went starting the game. Um, Bledsoe at 15 points the first quarter. They didn't give up any offensive rebounds to the Lakers, and they were up by about six um, going into the second quarter. Uh, they barely had any turnovers. They only ended up with Suns only had eight turnovers the whole game, which is really atypical for them they tend to be loose with the ball as a young team would be a, an inexperienced team a less uh, not less talented team but a not one of the top tier top tier teams so that was a big um, part of them playing really well and getting some momentum going and Barbosa played well and Bledsoe really carried them what did you see from both teams here in this game yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, uh, Barbosa came in and played well. Like I said, guards tend to really attack these Lakers. Uh, you know, it, it's still, you know, the, 
everybody is, seems to have bought in for the most part to the offensive side of things, and that's always going to be easy, especially if it's like, hey, look, if you play hard, you move the ball around, just shoot it. You know, young players are going to love that. They have not. They have yet to establish a defensive identity. Uh, you know, uh, so unless they're outscoring you, it's cool. You know, they're going to be up against it for a lot of the times. Obviously, I'm speaking of the Lakers in this one, uh, but the Suns took advantage of that. Um, anytime you get, let's see, what is that? Thirty, fifty, almost sixty-five points from your guards. You know, between Bledsoe, uh, Barbosa, and Brandon Knight. It's going to be a tough night for the other team. Yeah, and Booker had 15 and fouled out late in the game. I mean, he he was. I was watching that game. He was off. Like he yeah. could have. If he was like on, he would have scored 35, but he didn't. So he scored 15. I mean, he was missing everything. I think he only made one three, and uh, so it was an off night for him. But it's a good thing Barbosa was on. He, I believe, he made five threes. Let me let me take a look here. Yeah, five percent. Yeah, five or five. It was. Crazy. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I looked. I looked at his percentages a couple of weeks ago, and he was a lot better shooter than I had thought in his first stint with Phoenix. But uh, he can really knock it down. And also, I mean, for someone who's up there in age, he is still really fast. He's. He's. I mean, he, he earns the name. He's the Brazilian blur, and, and and it still applies because he was running right around people. Uh, you know, somewhat standing flat-footed, but he was definitely running around people out there last night. And you're right, yeah. Uh, but in terms of Booker, you're, you're exactly you're, you're exactly right. It wasn't that he was terrible. It just it just looked exactly like that. He was just off, uh, missing open shots because you know there was not much resistance outside of that one stretch uh, in, in late in the third or even into the fourth quarter where the Lakers started to really you know put you know, apply pressure. There wasn't a lot of resistance out there, so it, it, it was a little bit weird to see him so off. Yeah, I agree. There was, I mean, we, I guess I don't really didn't notice anything with interior defense, but you're right, the perimeter defense, Bledsoe, Booker, any of them with a head fake, with a, a jab cut, anybody was able to get into the lane. And there, the, I mean, there was one, I think it was the in the fourth quarter where uh, Len got the ball, or Bledsoe had, Booker had the ball down low in the corner and then passed out to Len at the, at the top of the wing. And just back cut somebody for an easy layup, and Len got it back to him. I mean, that shouldn't happen. With I mean, you should really be more disciplined than that. And uh, one thing I noticed was, um, while Randall is very he's versatile on the offensive end, he got blown by and destroyed pretty much throughout this whole game. What did you think? He did. Now again, I'm not not to make excuses, but the trouble with Randall, um, you know, look, last year he was a terrible defender, and he would acknowledge that. You know, completely. At the start of the year, he was, you know, he was looking much better in terms of being able to stay in front of players and in terms of being able to kind of, uh, you know, even match up with smaller guys along the perimeter. Ever since he's had those hip injuries or hip issues, he, that's been the case. You know, mm-hmm. guys are blowing right by him. Guys are kind of bullying him underneath the rim. Uh, the effort is there, but it doesn't seem like he can kind of get his body going right now. Yeah, you know, it's especially against especially against athletic guys. Yeah, the positioning was definitely a problem, and just able to be in the right place at the right time, and that's really what it, that's what the the benefit for the Suns of having a, a Dudley, a Barbosa. Well, they're not necessarily athletic or great defenders. They know where to be, they know how to position themselves, and they know how to make the best play. Same thing with Tucker. Yeah, veteran guys. You know, obviously, they've been around the block. You know, they, you know, they've seen things that Randall is still probably trying to understand. What you know, what you know, what's in front of his face. Uh, you know, and you know, so they, even if they're a little bit slowed, even if, like, as you said, with Dudley and, you know, and some of those other guys, you know, that may lack, you know, some of the athleticism that they had when they were younger, they, you know, they've got the smarts out there on the court in order to kind of, like, uh, you know, to know, like, okay, I'll just head them off at the pass as opposed to trying to stay with them. 
Yeah, those the really hard part is going around um, big screens. I mean, I, I noticed a lot of offensive fouls called in this game. Did you notice that? Yeah, and that does happen. You know, if you watch a lot of Lakers games, that's going to happen. There, there are times where there are times where Randall looks really disciplined, and it's like, hey, hey, this is the guy that we've been looking for. You know, you look at the poise that he's got with the ball in his hands. Then there's other times where it's a little bit loose. I think he ended up with either five or six turnovers last night. It certainly wasn't the cleanest of games for the Lakers. You know, from the Lakers side of things. Yeah, I think. I mean, I mean, I was noticing from the Suns' perspective, they caught, called for a lot of them. Len and Chandler both had at least one or two. And then Booker had a couple, like, it was, it was, there's a lot of offensive fouls called in that game, for sure. But I don't know how we've gone this long not talking about Lou Williams. If he is not in that game, that is a 25-point blowout, because he was timely shot-making, hard shots to make, open shots. He was all over the place last night. Look, I, I cannot say enough about the job that Lou Williams has done last, you know, this season, especially since I was not on the Lou Williams bandwagon last year, uh, to say, you know, to put it lightly. Um, uh, it, it's amazing to see what's putting a guy in the right situation and simply using him properly can do for, you know, for a player. Now, I don't want to put it all on Byron Scott and the, you know, the previous, uh, you know, or the previous regime, but it, uh, what I will say is it is a significant difference. Over the last five games, I think he's averaging, he's up over 30 points, uh, shooting, you know, shooting over 50% and, uh, like 90, something like 91% from the three point line, or excuse me, from the free throw line. Oh, yeah, 91% from three point line would be incredible. But not quite, <laughs> not quite that. Not quite realistic. But no, he's been, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, the last five games, they were showing the Lakers broadcast that he was just, 40, 38, so in 24 against Houston, he was he was on fire. He was able to get, I mean, the Suns are not a defensive juggernaut. They had breakdowns, and we can talk about my Brandon Knight um, thing at some point. I He is the one player that I've kind of grown old of, non-fond of. I'm pretty much fond of everybody else on the team except for him. But uh, anyway, so let's um, talk about just kind of uh, the Lakers and how, they, I mean, they're transitioning. They have some flux in injuries, but where do you see them going from here? You know, I've been trying to tell people all season, like, this early success is fantastic. I'm not trying to, you know, stifle any, anyone's emotion when it comes to, you know, being happy about their team. But let's always maintain perspective. It's still a young team. They are still developing. They're they are still a long way to go in terms of just individual development, let alone coming together as a unit. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, they have yet to, you know, yet to establish a defensive identity. Um, I do think, while I went into the year looking at, you know, their power forward situation, appreciating the fact that they both had both you know, Julius Randle and um, obviously uh, Larry Nance Jr. kind of, you know, fighting for, you know, fighting for minutes at the spot. At some point, you'd like to see somebody really, you know, you know, put, you know, put some distance between the other in, in, the, in the in terms of really just establish themselves as the as the guy at that position. Um, you know, again, there are, and, and this is going to be the case with young teams. There are nights where you know each of them look great, you know, and then there's nights where it's like each of them don't look, you know, each of them don't look so great. Uh, you know, so in terms of these Lakers, yeah, I'm really happy with the foundation that they've laid over the last few years. You know, folks can debate whether it was you know like out of luck or you know, you know because you know like or the genius of you know of the, of the silent tank, uh, but you know all of that aside. They've got, you know, they've got some really good pieces that look intriguing, and, re- and regardless of whether they're here for the long run or parts of future deals in order to bring in additional talent, I do think that they're in a, a pretty decent space moving forward. Definitely, um, I really enjoy watching Larry Nance with his putbacks. It just makes me so happy when he gets one, even if it's over somebody on quote unquote my team or something like mm-hmm. that. But uh, 
it's he I really enjoy watching him play. What do you think of the job Luke Walton's done so far? I know he's an interim in in Golden State, but he comes here, instills his um his system. What does that look like? What is he what kind of job has he done? How can you how much can you attribute him to the success they're having so far? I'll say this. I love you know, I loved the hire from the start. I mentioned, you know, and that no, this is not like hey, I told you so guy, but you know, like I did. Like right away I loved it. I thought it was the right guy at the right time. Mm-hmm. But what he's done is he's come out and shown you know, shown that yes, you know, he can coach the game. Yes, he, you know, he is a guy that you know is continuing to develop and expand his philosophy, you know, like itself as a as a head coach. But it was finally the right guy at the right time for these Lakers. Um, you know, again, not to be disparaging against about any of the others, but these last four, you know, three or four selections, it seemed like it was just the guy that they wanted as opposed to the guy that would be in the best interest, like of, you know, of their future. I totally get that. Oh my gosh. You know, you know, Luke just makes sense. Now, um, uh, one more quick thing. The biggest, or I guess the biggest uh, testament to the job that he's done was last night, right around somewhere midway through the third quarter, they were looking terrible. Uh, the Suns had pushed it back out to, I think, the lead was something like 71-61 or something, you know, somewhere along those lines. It was around 18 points. And uh, you, you saw Randall. Like vehemently or passionately, I'll say, you know, explaining you know an issue that he had with you know with a teammate, and it wasn't like it was an argument. It wasn't like that. It was actually the, the guys getting together and holding each other accountable. Then you know, after about ten seconds of that, the whole thing jumped in and backed Randall up, and they and they and they all just kind of talked. Meanwhile, the coaches were on the side, obviously coming up with the strategy and whatnot. But it was the players holding each other accountable and really and really doing doing the bulk of doing the bulk of the work in the timeout. That you just for one, you haven't seen that uh, you know with a Lakers unit in, in in some in you know quite some years. But in particular, you definitely wouldn't necessarily expect that already with such a young group. So that's a you know to me that's a you know that that's a very positive sign. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think he's doing a great job. Like, I, I totally agree that the previous hires didn't seem like the right person for the job, but he does. Luke Walden does seem like the right person. The funny thing is we had the two youngest coaches in the league with, with him and Earl Watson last night. The two were, I mean, Earl Watson's 37 and he's 36. So um, it was really interesting to see. Um, let's talk about some even younger guys. Let's talk about the, the uh, three rookies. Um, Brandon Ingram okay. did nothing until he hit the Swishes to the corner three in the last second, and uh, what did you think of him, Bender, Chris? See, you know, you, the interesting thing about Ingram is oftentimes if you're like if you're not like paying specific attention to him, you may not necessarily notice. He does a lot of things out there on the court. Like, say for instance, last night, you're in terms of scoring, you're right. He, you know, he doesn't, you know, he, you know, he doesn't come in with the, you know, like the. Uh, you know the, the killer instinct in terms of being just a you know, dominant scorer. You know mm-hmm. that some people you know, would necessarily anticipate, but you know, he ends up with nine points, seven boards, three assists. You know he's always kind of like in the passing lane. He's a work in progress. Oh, for sure. But I'm actually I'm actually 100 fine with a 19 year old not necessarily being a finished product. You know, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, when you see him out there on the court, you, you, like I said, if you pay strict attention to what he's doing, he's generally in the right position or at least attempting to make the right play. And I'll take that in any day of the week. Now, in terms of in terms of the rookies on your end. First thing I noticed about Marquise Chris was when he stepped out to the three-point line from the wing, some you know about about like midway through the first quarter, and just knocked it down like it was nothing. And I said, "Oh, okay, then." <laughs> that is, he didn't play that. He didn't play all that much, you know. So you didn't get very much from him. He was in a little bit of foul trouble, you know, you know kind of early on. Uh, 
but I, I did like seeing that. Um, uh, let's see, who else did we have? Bender. Sorry, I'm dr- drawing a blank. Oh, yes, Bender. You know, he, he didn't play all that much either. Because, look, for one, Alex Lynn, and you know, not, not to go off topic, but I, I just want to throw this in there, Alex Lynn looked really good last night. Yeah, you know, like the, the numbers may not, you know, may not, you know, impress everybody, but you give me a big that gives you 14 points, 13 rebounds, and five blocks, and takes up the space that he was taking up in, you know, in the middle on both sides. And I'll take that every day of the week. But you know, again, not to take anything away from Bender or Chris, neither one of them played very much, specifically because Len played so well. Yeah, definitely, they played a Chandler and Len together. They don't play, they don't do that a lot, but they played them together because it was working. Because Chandler was playing pretty well defensively last night, and Len was just, as you mentioned, playing quite well. Now, one thing about Len, before I get back to Bender and Chris, is that we, over the last few years, he had had a problem finishing. He would bring the ball down. He would not dunk it with aggressive with aggression when he should have. And you did not see those issues last night and most of the season. He is he's getting the pocket pass he needs to, keeping it high when he can, when he's able to, and dunking it with ferocity and not taking an, maybe an ill-advised jumper when he shouldn't have. I mean, did you see the one where someone left him super open at the mid-range and he, he dribbled it, he actually dribbled it and tried to go for a dunk and got fouled. And it really is a testament to his growth for sure. Yeah, I mean, and that's really all you can ask for out of out of a big or out of any player, but especially out of young bigs. Like I, I watched his first year, first you know, couple of years. You know, outside of the you know, like struggling with injuries, I, I totally agree. I did not see this this level of aggression and this level of just like assertiveness, this level of of, of like being certain of where he wanted to go and where he needed to be on the court. Uh, it, and that, certainly, that's a testament to you know the work that he's done, but also a testament to the work that this coaching staff has done with him. Yeah, definitely. He has. He definitely. He had nagging injuries, like you said, the first few years, like a pinky, a head, like a nose, like random things that really weren't affecting his health, his long-term health, but just didn't get him into a groove. And now he's he's really getting there. Although his ceiling may not be as much as high as we, like a Carl Anthony Towns or someone we think that is going to be really good. He's going to be a solid, serviceable, probably starting center in the league for a while. Um, but back to Bender and Chris. Yeah, they're right. They didn't play very much last night. It was weird for me to not see Bender's threes go in because he's been knocking them down. And uh, I knew Chris Chris gets them every now and then. But we just got to make sure. So you mentioned that they fouled a lot. I want to go into that. Chris Chris fouls a lot. I think he, from what I remember, he was a, fouled a lot in college in Washington. But then also um, Paul Coro, the beat writer here, had a great story about um, the fouling. And I'm going to quote a little bit here. The only consistency is whistles while they work. The Suns want to develop an aggressive defensive style. Until they get there, they are fouling at a pace higher than any NBA team since the 2005-06 season. The Suns foul a league high 25.7 times per game, which is Phoenix's highest average since the 1985-86 team set a franchise record with 27.6 fouls per game. So it's they foul so much, and it's aggressive. But until you can do it without fouling, it's going to cost. It's going to cost you in the in the in the in the score on the scoreboard, but they really foul a lot. But if they can, that's why fouls plus turnovers equals losing. So if you can get one of those right, you have a chance to win. No, you're absolutely right. It, yeah, that's funny because that's one of the things that Luke, in particular, you know, he's, he's in his post game sessions. 
he reiterates that pretty much every game. You got to learn how to play defense aggressively without fouling, and it's absolutely true. I do see, you know, I do understand, you know, you know uh, potentially what you know Coach Watson and his staff are trying to do, trying to get them to kind of establish them as as assertive defenders, because at a, at a certain point, once the refs adjust to them, you know, you know being aggre- you know, being the aggressors on on a on, on a night in night out basis, they'll kind of adjust the way that they you know, officiate them. Uh, but yeah, but you're, you're, but to your point, you're you're exactly right. Until until you get to that stage, you're going to end up losing a lot of games because you know if you turn the ball over a ton, which they didn't last night, which was obviously key, uh, as well as can you know put the other team on the foul line. More often than not, you're going to take the L. Definitely, they also um, made a, the Suns made a lot of threes last night. With um, let's take a look at where'd that go. Uh, they had a lot. They had a lot of threes last night. I'm trying to look up the exact number here. They were 13 for 30. 13 for 30. So that's so that'll that'll really help you. Um, but let's uh let's get to what everybody's list, waiting for for our podcast here. Uh, you and I over the about when was it about a month or two ago? We're having yeah, a just before the season. Just before the season, we're having the longest Twitter conversation about DeAngelo Russell and Devin Booker that has probably ever existed. Well, not ever existed. People go on for days, but it was several hours of back and forth. A couple other people jumping in. But I thought that was a really interesting conversation, and Lang even thought it was too. So I thought we'd have a longer discussion here about that. I was looking at the stats today, and uh, let's have you set it up, and just and then we'll go from there. Well, for the record, I, do, I just want to make it clear that simply because I say that I would prefer D'Angelo to Nesio to, to excuse me to Devin, that doesn't mean that I'm in any way knocking Devin. And to be also to be clear, at this stage. Devin is probably a more consistent performer, so uh, and, and and probably has like a you know probably has a higher baseline for what his potential is. I just look at D'Angelo and some of the potential that I've seen and some of the things that he's shown out there. You know, like I, I see him as a, a, a higher boom factor. Does that leave you as a bigger bust factor? Yes, it probably does. So you know, again, that 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 isn't to take anything at all away from Booker. It's just that right now. Uh, when you know when he's healthy, D'Angelo when he gets it going, he can really get it going. It's just going to be a matter for him. It's and with any with any player, any young player in particular, especially a young point guard or scoring guard, you know what have you, uh, finding consistency, finding the ability to bring a consistent effort, whether your shot is going down or not, and finding other ways to impact the game. That's going to be the key. Definitely. Um, so it looks like they have pretty similar stats in both years of both years. Looking at them per game, I mean they've both been in the league for two years. They're they're pretty close friends, and they uh-huh. and so they came in the league at the same time. And Devin Booker had 13.2 points per game last year, and now is 16.1. But those numbers are obviously skewed by the fact of this year injuries and not much of the season happening. And last year not playing for the first two months. But that was that was those are D'Angelo's numbers. But uh, mm-hmm. the wrong one there. But Devin is at 13.8 last year and 18.8 this year. So same thing. They both didn't play for a while. I mean, Byron was, um, I don't know if the word smothering is not right, but he wasn't <laughs> helping him reach his full potential. So Russell was just kind of floundering a little bit based on that and the Kobe factor, that that year of of leaving, I guess you could say, the year of leaving for him. And uh, so Russell is now getting his groove. And Booker is really had to, had so high usage 
because last year they had no point guards for for several games and because everybody was injured and when you focus so much energy also that means defensive energy and impact on him and that'll bring down your numbers yeah no uh i again i really like what booker brings um i like the versatility that he's shown because quite frankly heading into the you know heading into his career i didn't necessarily anticipate that i know there's a lot of people that are saying like oh yeah i loved him in college look Many of us didn't necessarily anticipate him, uh, you know, getting to the you know where he may potentially you know end up going. Um, but I, I, I really like the mix with you know with him and Bledsoe. Uh, you know, heading into the year, the, what was funny about it during the summer, I had this discussion with a few Suns fans on, you know, on Twitter as well, and you know they were saying I was saying, well, you know, Booker's probably going to end, you know, could potentially end up being your best player overall if he, if he takes that next step this year. Um, so I look at that, that backcourt is it's it's going to be Bledsoe and Booker, and I actually got people arguing with me you know, in favor of the guy that you said that you, you let's let's just say he's not your favorite anymore, Brandon Knight. <laughs> but uh, I love the combo. You know, I love that combo with you know with him alongside Bledsoe. Yeah, it's definitely. I think like I think every I think everybody thought that J, he was a JJ Redick, like a, a shooter plus like actual like yep. other skills. Like JJ Redick's not a and I love J.J. Redick, but he is, he's not like a Chris Paul, he's not like, for lack of a better word, but he's not like a versatile, all-around, all-star kind of guy. But he is a shooter plus some other skills, and that's what seemed like J.J. Booker could be. But it seems like that has broken the mold now, and we're out of that area, that realm, and we're into a new realm, a bigger realm, where he could have a higher ceiling. We'll see what happens. To talk about the Brandon Knight part, it's not that, I think he's a, he's a good player, it's just some decision making, and it seems like he squanders so many possessions where they could have capitalized. I'd rather have Bledsoe in there at almost all times. It seems like it just it's, it drives me crazy. But it's it's he's a good player. I just want to see like a little more smart decision making, less long twos, and less like taking two defenders on. It's just mind baffling. It's baffling. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. Like for instance, last night, if you look at, if you just quickly look at it, at his box, he ends up with 14 points, four assists, three rebounds, and a steal. That's, oh, that that sounds good, right? <laughs> Except for then, you also look at the fact that it, it came for some, you know, some for whatever the reason is, it came at the same exact time as the Lakers were making their run. He he's one of the few players on your team last night that were a negative in the in the plus minus. He was a negative 19. Yeah, most of the most of the you know dragon you know dragon was a negative 10. Uh, and, but most of the other guys were plus four, plus eighteen, plus twelve. You know, like, so I definitely understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's it's obviously like it was, there was something thrown around Twitter. I think yesterday, the day before. I'm not. We're not. I haven't checked into it completely, so I'm not going to like totally vouch for it. But it was saying that this could be the highest. Um, I think it was cumulative plus and minus of um, the biggest disparity between the best player and the worst player this year. The worst player being Brandon Knight and the best player being Russell Westbrook in terms of cum. I think cumulative plus and minus. And it's like, wow. it's like, ever, really? Like, it's, yeah, it's like, seriously? So it's like, he, he gets beat on stuff, and then he squanders, and he shoots and misses it. And he, but he, the thing is, if you have a good Brandon Knight game, you're probably going to win that game. But you've also probably lost four others because he wasn't a good Brandon Knight game. So it's something. It's, it's, it's found money, as they say, when he when, we, when he plays a yeah. good and efficient game. Okay, like, yeah, I, I got you. You're like, well, well, well listen. Thank goodness we actually have like a chance today. <laughs> so it's not so much that I don't like him because he's a really smart player, really nice person, and he really 
he's an actual really good NBA player, and if he can keep his role and keep rolling, he might win sixth man of the year. It's not looking as good as it did before the season, but still a possibility if he can pick it up. But it's like, it's, I'd rather have Bledsoe. Bledsoe. I feel like Bledsoe doesn't play enough, but we'll see. Well, part of that could also be, be them trying to maintain his health. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we're being honest, you know, that has been an issue, you know, throughout the course of his career. He's great when he's out there and, and fully healthy, uh, but, you know, you, you got to maintain that. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because because of the depth in the Western Conference, Bledsoe probably won't make an all-star team, but he should because he's really good. Do you see his shooting last night? I've never seen I mean, two or three years ago, he, could, he would have to walk into threes, like, to make sure that he made them with the right momentum and arc. And now he just he made three last night, one from the corner off a catch and shoot like that was not there. And he already has the body control. I think he has the second best body control in the league other than LeBron. He's mini LeBron, and he has such good body control in his layups. It's amazing. You know, I hadn't considered that, but you're right in terms of that his actual body control. Yeah, and you know, I don't know what he's listed at. You know, <laughs> but you know, mini is exactly is exactly right. Uh, I'll say this. In terms of his, in terms of his shooting, he definitely looked stronger. He looked great last night. In fact, I, you know, I was up, I was in row one eleven at you know along Media Row, saying you know I'm probably the closest guy to him. <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> the closest guy to him on some of these shots. He, uh, you know, it. Bledsoe is Bledsoe is a guy that in a you know like. A, Trying to think of a bet, you know, best way to say it because I don't want to. I don't want it to sound as though it's a backhanded compliment. Um, on a better team, I think, or on a team that is you know primed and ready to go to the, you know, go you know uh, make a, a playoff run, I think he would get all of the attention that he deserves. The trouble is when you know when your team is seven and sixteen, and as you mentioned, it's you know as deep as deep of a, of a Western Conference as especially at that position as I've seen. Uh, it's going to be tough to make an all-star team, but you know, to your point, he, you're exactly right in terms of his actual ability and the numbers that he puts up. He does, you know, he deserves he deserves to be in that conversation. Yeah, because I mean, he's just not going to make it because it's Steph and Clay and Harden and Westbrook for the first four spots, and then you have to there's Lillard like already right there. That's already too many spots for guards almost. It's like how are you supposed to break into that unless you outperform them? And he has his usage is not high enough, or his his role on the team isn't to take over like that. He's distributing. He's he's also very soft-spoken, if you've noticed. Bledsoe is really soft-spoken, but that doesn't mean he has no energy or passion. He really has that, and he has a drive. But it's I mean, it's just not his role to be a Westbrook-type player. So it's just hard to beat him out with numbers if your team is not very as good and you're not your role is not as dominant and ball-dominant. No, you're exactly right. And the only thing I'll say about being soft-spoken is you can be so, as soft-spoken as you want. Your, your game, his game talks for himself. Exactly. His game talks for itself. Exactly. So we're, let's um, take a look at, um, let's just project some players here. What Obviously, we're not going to try to like project Andrew Russell and Booker as like, we think they're probably going to be fringe all-stars in the next several years. Once they get to their peak, we'll see what happens. We, they're not. Neither one. We can't like know for sure. We we don't have any inkling. I don't think that either one's going to be that much better than the other. Um, but let's take a look. I want to hear your thoughts on some other players. What do you think of Alex Len in five years? I think he's 23 right now. What do you think of him in five years? What is 
his face-up game look like? And I, I don't mean to answer your question with a question. It's just that I haven't been able to watch enough of him play. He can, like I, I catch him when he when he plays the Lakers. He can he can definitely shoot pretty decently. He's a let's say he's a, a very good um, face-up mid-range shooter um, for a center. Like that's really good. He can't shoot threes really, but the yeah. problem is he. If he doesn't get in the right rhythm and he fades away too much, then he'll miss it. But he can definitely shoot it pretty well. All right, what about Brooke Lopez? Prior to this year, I, I know mm-hmm. Brooke's shooting the three this year, but prior to this year he hadn't. I, I could see him you know, being in that mold of player. Yeah, he, I, okay, off the top of my head, I feel like Alex Lund's more athletic but less skilled, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's a pretty good comparison right there. So in five years... But uh, hopefully, I, I, just, uh, yeah. I just mean in terms of overall impact. Like it, it's, yeah. it's always tough, you know, like to, to compare exact, you know, like athleticism mm-hmm. to skill set and whatnot. Uh, but it, it, like it, in terms of overall impact, a guy that you know, say he's playing in the Eastern Conference, you, know, you would you know, could even you know, ultimately at his peak, you know, uh, be in that All Star talk. Yeah, that's a potential. I, w- I would also that that brings to mind the question of what would Brook Lopez be on a good team. I it's so we'll see about that. But yeah, Alex Lynn in five years at his peak could be like that, but I don't think he's gonna be much more than that for sure. It's tough to say what Brooke Lopez will be on a good team because I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. That was um, a little bit of a knock, sorry about that. No, that makes sense that makes <laughs> sense. Um let's see here. Let's think about um some a Lakers player. Um we're not gonna try to say Brandon Ingram's Kevin Durant in any sense, even though it looks it, like if you look at me, that's what he looks like he should be, but from his length. But uh, let's talk about um, what's Randall. Is Randall Paul Millsap? Is Randall who is Randall in five years? Man, that was a really good one right off the bat because I, I I was sitting there thinking, okay, who was Randall be? I'm not going to say Draymond because even though they like to fancy that he's a uh, you know Draymond, he's not Draymond. I, he's not like Drake. <laughs> the reason why Draymond is special is because like. It's very rare to get that package in that package. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and no, that was not a reference to his uh, Snapchat issue. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, the, the Millsap thing is interesting because kind of, you know, watching how he developed, you know, when he came in, he was a bruiser. He was a guy that, you know, he, he was going to grit and grind and he was going to get under the rim and, 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 and do some damage. And the only thing I'll say with Randall is, He's going to have to be a more consistent defensive player. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, 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 he he gives effort, but the focus isn't always there. You yeah. know, um, in order to get in order to get to that Millsap level, which I, again I really like that comparison. I I'd like to see more of a consistent defensive effort, and you know, obviously uh, picking you know becoming a smarter guy with the ball, or you know, you know making you know, being you know continuing to make better decisions with the ball in his hand will be will be something that you would link you would think could come over time. Uh, but no, I, I really like that comparison. Yeah, I liked uh, seeing him on the offensive end, like get the rebound and run down the court for a he he did a one man fast break, which was. Pretty good for a guy his size, but also the Lakers broadcast uh, pointed out that Bledsoe broke past the perimeter guy, and 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 he, Randall didn't even like step in to do anything, and he just laid it in easily, the easiest layup you could possibly get in a half court offense. Yeah, that's not gonna work. That's <laughs> not gonna work. And like I said earlier in the year, I, I you saw signs because you know he, he even made a, a, a key defensive stop at the end of a game. I can't even remember what game it was. I was at the game. And at the at, at the very end, I said, "Wait, was that Randall that did that?" Was <laughs> like he, he um, uh, you know, but you know, but that aside, yeah, it it it's going to be plays like that. It's it's 
it's it can't be feast or famine. You gotta, you know, he's going to have to find a way to be more consistent and bring and and, and be able to play make, uh, but do it in the right way. But also have the same desire to play make on the defensive end. Definitely. So let's uh, spin this forward to the to the. Uh, well, okay. First, I want to before I ask him, and I always ask all my guests about the Suns. Uh, the uh, over under is set at twenty six point five uh, before the season started. Do you think they make that over under? What do you think? It's tough because I haven't looked at their schedule. I'm one of those guys that were like, if you ask me that question, I'll I'll go to go through the schedule and really break it down. That sounds like an achievable number. Um, right now, I don't know that they're on pace for that. Let's see, we're about a quarter of the way through the season. They have seven, yeah. Yeah, they're right around they're right around that pace. So why not? Yeah. You know, unless unless you see just a rash of you know just devastating injuries, uh, you know that that end up taking out uh, you know more than obviously the the one that TJ Warren that you know that he's been suffering from recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I see no reason why they can't continue to compete because I look I yeah I look at that roster and like I said. Even though I didn't see very much from Marquise Chris and very much from Dragon Bender, uh, they've got a lot of young pieces. Just like you know, just like I'm pleased with you know what the Lakers have moving forward. The, the Suns have a lot of young pieces that you know whether they end up ultimately being a part of the foundation or or pieces that are you know used in order to bring in more established players. You know, you've got some stuff to work with. Yeah, it's definitely a far cry. Well, it's a far cry in terms of talent than the let's say the 2012 season where. It was all old, not good players, pretty yeah. much. It's a better, better situation for sure. So then, yeah. yeah, so let's take a look. It looks like the, the Lakers have, they couldn't get past the Suns, but then so they've lost five in a row. But it looks like they're going to get a, a break here in the schedule. Uh, we'll see about the Knicks on a Sunday. But then they're going to play Sacramento, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. So it looks like you'll pick up some wins there in the next couple, in the next week or so. You never can tell. Like the only reason why I say is Sacramento's on the second out of a back-to-back, and you might be reintroducing some players, you know, back, you know, back from injury. And then anytime you go on the road, you're a young team. You know, they they fared, you know, they they they've done fairly well on the road. Let me just take a look, you know, quickly and see what the what they've done on the road. If I'm not mistaken, I think they've won four games. Yeah, you know, they, they you know they've won four games on the road so far. But you know, it, anytime you're dealing with a young team with like the Lakers, you can't necessarily you know uh, you know mark those down as wins. Yeah, well, yeah, as as a, I guess, I know we cover our teams and we cover the league in general, but we kind of have our, our teams, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever you're projecting turn all that stuff, you kind of go, well, I'd love if they won that game, but the probability of them actually winning that game, and you're always, you're always, is a, is less than, than optim, optimal, and you kind of wish, yeah. I'll confess, last night's game was a game where I said, hey, look, Lakers, like, you're about to head out on the road. You might want to get this one. Might want to get it <laughs> done, yeah. Want, you might want to get this one. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. For sure. And also, you kind of you see, you, like you're saying, you see them go on the road to play what is, I guess, universally known as bad teams. And you're like, well, you should win it, but uh, we'll see what actually happens. Because mm-hmm. as teams, Lakers, Suns right now, who are not reliable, they're not like, a, I don't know, let's see, a, I don't know, it's a good team. Spurs, Warriors, Cleveland, like, they're not going to go lose yeah. those games unless, like, they don't want to <laughs> and they don't feel exactly. like they're going to rest everybody. But, um, so the Suns look like they, they've also gotten their, th- they've gotten three Warriors games out of the way already. They've just, like, taken those L's nice and early, nice and fast, get them out of the way. Um, but then they think they have some against the Spurs still, but we'll see. We'll see. They, ha- they had a, the, a brutal schedule up front, 
They've they started out the year after a Sacramento game. They played Oklahoma City, Golden State, Clippers, Portland right away. Then they played Pelicans, Lakers, and then played Portland again, and they played Golden State again, <laughs> and then they and they played Golden State again. So they hopefully this looks like their schedule will get easier here. They play the Pelicans on Sunday, then the Knicks, then the Spurs, Thunder. Minnesota's not looking nearly as good. Houston's looking good though. Then play Philadelphia, Houston again. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how they do going forward. It'll be nice, hopefully, this year to not have like a January where we lose Bledsoe, Warren, all at night in like two weeks. It'll be nice to actually, hopefully, have all the players pretty much available to uh, go about their business, continue to grow as a team, and really gel and move forward because. There's a lot of young... I mean, this is like one of the youngest teams I've almost ever seen in my life, ever. I mean, you have... They've had birthdays, but... Like, really recently, but... Booker just turned 20. Bender just turned 19. Ulis is 20. Chris just turned 20. Or just turned 19, one of them. And then it's and then Len is 23-ish, and, like, Warren's 22. Like, half their team is under 25, and they have a couple older guys to bring in, but it is kind of ridiculous when they have these really young starting lineups here where Bledsoe's like the oldest. I'm sorry. Where Bledsoe's like by far the oldest player. I was going to say, get ready for the roller coaster ride. As soon as you do, when you name, with, with, with all of those, you know, early 20s, <laughs> yeah, get ready for the roller coaster ride. There's going to be nights where they have, they look fantastic, and nights where you're like, okay, what's going on here? Is this a, Is this my team? Yeah, you, you see the difference between these games. I've already seen it this year where you're like, well, there's all the shooting, all the passing. I mean, today they had, last night they had about 26 assists. I think that was the most, almost their season high. And you can see them passing the ball and doing stuff. And then other teams you're saying, well, you can barely get the ball up half court. You're missing every offensive rebound. You can't make shots. It's like, what happened? But just youth and stuff. And the, the hope is, just for the Lakers too, is that in five years when these people are entering their primes um, that you haven't gotten rid of all the players <laughs> and you can actually yeah. have them gel, to, gel together, grow together, and be able to compete at the highest levels together as a team. That's certainly what the hope is. Uh, just quickly, you, you're mentioned to, you know, to, the, to Phoenix's schedule. It looks like the NBA schedule makers really didn't show either one of our the teams that we cover in you know, very much love because – uh, the Lakers, they started, you know, obviously they started the season off with Houston at home, but then they went on something like a four-game, four literally right off the bat, four-game in a six-night road trip. Oh, my gosh, against Utah, yeah. Utah, Oklahoma City, you know, Indiana, you know, when we thought they were going to be, you know, better than what they are in, in Atlanta. And they also played Golden State three times in the month of November, which to me kind of makes no sense whatsoever. But, hey, they, I guess they were like, hey, let's get these let's get these guys out the way so we can have all primetime Golden State in the second half of the year yeah, because I mean, how many how many Lakers games are on ESPN? Even when they were bad the last couple of years, it's kind of ridiculous. I think too many, too many, too many. I mean, let's not highlight all the ba- all the all the losses, please. Um, so um, let's uh, let's get some. What do you got? Some final thoughts on Suns and Lakers going forward? Only that you know, I, I can't. 
came into the year, you know, like I did an article, something about like you know the you know storylines or the you know the things to look for. I came into the year really, really, really looking forward to everything outside of Golden State and Cleveland. Not that I, you know, only because I knew we were going to get plenty of that throughout the year, mm-hmm. but in particular because I I looked at teams like the Lakers, teams like the Suns, teams like obviously Minnesota, teams like Denver, and all of those other young cores, really young, strong cores that. You know, there's obviously a couple to a few, hopefully, you know, hopefully not too many to be beyond that, you know, years from being there, but it's an exciting process. I, you know, like, I came up in the 80s, I, I was very fortunate enough to watch, you know, the Showtime Lakers, uh, I saw what took place after that, and I actually really appreciated that, you know, that group with Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and Eldon Campbell and, you know, some of the, you know, George Lance and some of those guys. It was, it was a fun time to, you know, to watch them kind of rise from the ashes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see with these, with all of, with each of those groups that I just named. So in particular with the Suns and the Lakers, I just look at it like, hey, look, this is a, they, they've got a solid foundation. Let's build upon it and let's have some fun competing against one another for the next few years again. Yeah, it's also kind of good for the fan bases to see the teams grow instead of just just signing like people like the big three in Miami when they were there. It, I don't know if some people have this thought of it's it's cheaper than if they grew from the draft and stuff and were cultivated together. I don't necessarily buy that all the time, but sometimes it might be for some fans they might be excited to see a team grow, see, grow with the team, grow with the fans until they can make a push in the playoffs. But we'll see. You know who you know who it's cheaper to? Who? Fans of every other fan base that didn't get those <laughs> didn't get those three guys. There you I, go. I will say, but I will say, you definitely appreciate the heck out of it when your team, you know, came you know, started with you started from the bottom and you know worked their way up. You I'm, definitely appreciate the heck of it. I mean Oklahoma City before they had to trade everybody like before the Harden trade, you're like, wow, they these like three consecutive drafts. They got all these great players, and they really developed them, and they built people around them. I mean, Presti did a good Golden, job with that. Oklahoma City. Golden, yeah. Golden State did the same thing. The, the, like I know that I know like everybody's like, wait a second, they got Durant this year. Yeah, outside of that, they were homegrown, and, and that's what made it so. That's what made them so fun. And people, people's like, how did they do that? Okay, the reason that they were able to do this entire thing is because Curry's ankles. That is the answer right there. Like, like you got, if no one understands, I mean, writers understand this, but casual fans understand that you cannot. He his contract is so cheap for the for the play. He's such a bargain because his his first, I believe, his, his contract extension off his rookie one was so cheap. I believe it's forty four million um, mm-hmm. over. It. And it's like, he, then he, then the year after he gets it or something, he becomes two time MVP a year or two later. Like. That is such a bargain, especially on the salary cap now. It's that that you can sign Clay, you can sign Draymond, and then you can get rid of your bench, entire bench. That's what my article on my uh, my site's called SolarInsights.net, and I wrote a big piece this summer about uh, the death lineup and the and the differences and how last year, this year. So everybody should go take a look at that. But uh, like they lose their bench and then they sign Durant. Like that doesn't happen without Curry's ankles being uh, suspect and him agreeing to basically a much lower a contract. Dead on. I, I, I also encourage people to, you know, to check that site out and check that article out in particular uh, because, 
Look, Curry's ankles were paper mache for a couple years. <laughs> like, like, like he, he, I liked him at Davidson, and I, this one I actually can say because I was a fan of his at Davidson, specifically because I love NBA lineage. I like, you know, I'm always like, oh, okay, that's so, that's such and such a boy. I'm actually going to pay attention to that. Um, but when he came out, for one, nobody anticipated him, uh, you know, ascending to those heights. But the, the the going notion or the going idea on him was, well, he's good, but he's not going to last because his body can't hold up. And he was too so, skinny you know, too. You're to, exactly right. He was too skinny too to really push people around. Like, like mm-hmm. you didn't think that it was it was kind of amazing because you didn't think that someone that skinny could actually get enough space to get a shot off. You thought you could just take a Robertson or someone and just smother him all game, and you never he'll never he'll never score. But he has the handles and the actually. The underrated people don't see this. The underrated uh, game around the basket to lay it up, and he really—I mean—he worked on it, I believe, with a uh, physical therapy or something to have a, his body, his uh, core strength up, so that he can actually get those shots off. It's kind of incredible his ascension there, and the Warriors. But enough talk about the Warriors. Uh, so, um, any final thoughts? Well, uh, plug your stuff on the the, the shop, and we'll like, get out of here. Okay, again, I definitely appreciate the opportunity, Eric. Um, yeah, I, I was excited from the moment when you invited me, you know, uh, about a month ago, so I've been looking forward to it. Uh, like you said, it's unfortunate that, you know, D'Angelo wasn't able to make it on, or wasn't able to play, so we could have seen, like, maybe a head-to-head, uh, you know, game, you know, before that game. But the shop on basketballinsiders.com, it's usually every Thursday, every so often, you know, you, you know schedules conflict, so we, you know, we release it on Saturdays, but every every uh, Thursday, it's a barbershop conversation with, you know, my guy Lane Green, uh, who's also, you know, a member of the site, you know, I, I have content throughout the week, you know, you know, beyond that, but that's kind of, you know, that's, that's the one that we really enjoy, uh, if you do the Twitter thing, you know, shameless plug, Jabari Davis NBA, and, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. Well, go take a look at Jabari, check me out at Eric underscore Sar. And check out my site, solarinsights.net. And I will uh, see you all later, basketball fans. Have a great day.